Mayor's calendar, it's a pretty special day. We call it Palm Sunday. It's a time when we look back, when we see Jesus was proclaimed as King of Kings. Now, it's not going to be like it will be eventually. And there were crowds that went a little bit crazy. But what's going to happen to Jesus? As we look forward to the crowning him as king of kings forever and ever and ever. You know, we continue to focus on the story of God. It's found in the Bible. This is our 22nd week, actually looking at this story, which started way back in a garden where God created Adam and Eve and put them in an unbelievably perfect and beautiful environment and literally began to communicate and enjoy each other. Well, Adam and Eve, well, they broke God's heart. They disobeyed. They decided that their way was probably better than God's way. And from that time forward, God has been pursuing us. And it's been a story of pursuit from Genesis all the way up through the Older Testament, which we ended last week as we jump into the Newer Testament. This story of pursuit is a cycle of rejection and reconciliation and restoration and rejection. Wow. Although, in light of the season, we're going to go a little bit out of order. Because once we end the Old Testament and we head into the New Testament, we normally would focus on the birth of Jesus, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But really, to be able to jump ahead, well, a few years ahead, and to be able to focus on Jesus the King this morning, is going to encourage us. So in a few weeks, this will make all the sense in the world. But right now, I'd like to pray, well, actually not me, before we begin to focus on our long-awaited Messiah. I've asked a friend that just showed up today. His name is Mike Dawson. Mike, would you come on up? Most of you don't know Mike, I'm pretty sure. This is Joshua Dawson's dad. And Mike, for the most part, has been a missionary, born in the Amazon jungle, grown up there, raised his family, raised a couple of different families, and faithfully have served God in Venezuela, a really, really, really hard mission field. He was on his way up to Michigan to chat with a church up there, and that fell through. So Mike showed up right here. And I'm so glad because, you know, normally at this time, we would pray for this message. And we would pray for the churches in our area. And we would pray for our country and our world. Well, if we could, I asked Mike, the native language that he speaks in is Yanomama. Did I say it right? No. Okay. <laughs> I know it's like mama at the end, but, but all I know is this. 
Mike, if he were back in Venezuela and he had an opportunity to speak and to open up, well, in prayer there, it would be just like here, only the language would be a little different. So I'm going to ask Mike to speak in that native language to pray for us today and our world before we go on. Would you? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. I have no clue what Mike said. I think at the end there was amen. But you know what's so amazing? Is that all over our world, people are worshiping God right now. And they are praying to our almighty Father. And there are languages, languages that we have no clue about. And they're using those words to praise our amazing God. And so I am grateful again to be part of God's family. To meet with God's family. And to open up His Word. And to be able to hear what God has for us today. Although most folks understand the word Messiah, Messiah is such a Jewish term. So, for Palm Sunday Impact, we're going to need to understand a little bit more Hebrew understanding of Messiah. Let me try to explain. God promised Abraham that he would be a father of a great nation, the nation of Israel. This special privileged nation would model for the world how to connect with God and how blessings from God would look if they were to walk with God. Most of the time, though, Israel didn't do this relationship well. Basically, God honored the covenant, but Israel didn't. Nevertheless, God had a plan. Because of God's love and faithfulness and integrity, he sent Jesus, Jesus, his son, to be Messiah, to be Savior of Israel, literally to be Savior of mankind. But before Jesus came, he set up a sacrificial system. Before the Messiah came, Sin had to be covered. It would never be taken away until the Messiah would come. But sin could be covered. But then the perfect Lamb of God, the Messiah, would shed His blood so that everyone and anyone who puts their faith in Christ's payment would be reconciled to God and have their relationship with God restored. The Jews knew their world was broken. 
They understood that life apart from God involved pain and suffering. They also had glimpses of what God's blessing would look like if they were to obey. So when the prophet spoke of a coming Messiah, literally multitudes of times, a righteous king, a savior, they got excited. They were filled with hope. But God's Messiah and the Jews' Messiah looked very different. The Jews, as you know, wanted a political king, a political savior. Rome was so ruthless. To live underneath the reign of that emperor was, was hard. And so they were hoping that, that their king would come with power and authority and be able to, well, stomp out all the Roman oppression. The Jews needed God's Messiah. So he sent what they needed, not what they wanted. And it was so clear as we look at Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Now let me just give you a quick background here. But Jesus was in the midst of his ministry, and he had gone back home to his hometown at Nazareth. And as was the custom, Jesus would go on the Sabbath into the synagogue. And during their service, there would be a time, again, of singing, of reciting, of prayer, of reading of the Torah. But there would be one part where, in a normal synagogue setting, they would ask, does anyone want to read the Word? Is there a Word from God that we should hear? It was at this time that Jesus stood up. He unrolled the scroll to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Well, as I said, though, it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. So Jesus is there opening up this scroll, and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim that captives will be released so that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Hundreds of years before this, when the prophet Zechariah was, was writing, Isaiah was writing, he talked about the Messiah. And although some of this wording looks, oh, well, well, you know, poor, they're, they're going to be taken care of. Oh, God was focusing so much on the spiritual. So much on what changes would happen in people. Recognizing again that a life apart from God is a life of slavery. Is a, is a life, well, you just exist. You don't thrive. It's not abundant. And Jesus said, hey, the Holy Spirit is on me, and he has anointed me to bring good news, to let people know the kingdom of God is here, and that God's reign and rule is going to begin, and there's going to be good news, and you will be able to have freedom and experience life. There will be blind that will see, and there was physically blind who could see, but he's talking about spiritual blindness. 
and the opportunity for each one of us to live our lives and to see all that God has for us. And he ends up with, and that is the time that God's favor has come. And he sits down and says, I have fulfilled this. People looked around. No wonder they ran Jesus out of town. Jesus, we know you. You grew up here. Are you telling us you are the king of the Jews? Here's where we pick up our story. If you turn your Bibles or your flat screens to Mark chapter 8. And we're going to be spending some time in Mark and Luke today. But Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? Well, the disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Messiah. But then Jesus does something a little odd in verse 30. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him right there. Oh, this is the third year of Christ's ministry. He's well into his messages. He's well into his preaching and his healings. He's already spent a couple years with the disciples. And he's walking around. What are people saying about me, guys? Well, they, they say you are a pretty special preacher. And, and the miracles you do, they're, they're pretty amazing. They are. But who do you say I am? Oh, Peter. I mean, I mean, we love Peter. We hate Peter. We think Peter's crazy sometimes. But, but Peter comes up with, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the King. We know that. We've lived with you for the last two years. We have seen things happen we've never thought would happen. And then Jesus says, okay, don't tell anyone. Uh, Okay, got it. And then if you read through chapter 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, and again, not trying to be idealistic here, but, but in our series called The Story, we're we're covering larger portions of Scripture and trying to give us a little of better idea, a, a bird's eye view of who God is. And so in these chapters, we find out that, that Jesus begins to well, share some things about himself. But before he goes into all of the messages... He jumps right to a hard part. And he starts telling his disciples about his suffering and his death. Now, this wasn't going to happen in two, and this is going to happen pretty soon. But that Jesus was going to have to suffer, and Jesus would have to go to the cross, and Jesus would have to die. And on the third day, he would rise from the dead. 
And he would be victorious over sin and over the enemy's power. Well, the scriptures tell us just a little bit later in chapter 8 that Peter didn't like that message. He maybe walked up to Jesus, put his arm around Jesus, and he said, Jesus, Jesus, come over here. I, I, I hear this talk about the suffering, you dying, and, and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus, 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 that's not what we want to focus on now. The word in, in your Bible is reprimanded or scolded. It was strong. And then the scriptures tell us this, that Jesus took Peter aside and basically said, get behind me, Satan. Okay. Here, Here we have the picture. Jesus again is telling all the wonderful things and the hard things about the kingdom, gets to a place where he's suffering, recognizing again that that this king is going to die on the cross. Peter looking after him. He's already got a great relationship with him. And then literally comes to him and says, Jesus, this can't be the way. And to his best friend, he calls him Satan. Now again, when kids get out of line, or maybe there's some things going on in your family, or maybe at work, most of us are not going to use the S word, you know. Oh, Satan, I, I, I mean, it's just shocking. But I think really what Jesus was trying to say is get their attention. You have the total wrong idea of the Messiah. You are seeing things through your eyes. You don't want the Messiah to suffer. I get it. But he's going to. And you want this king to show up with all power and authority. I get it. But my kingdom is not like that. God's Messiah gives up his life. Messiah followers are also going to give up their lives. Jesus came preaching the kingdom is here. And Jesus Christ ushered in God's reign and rule. And he came to model what it looks like to live underneath God's authority. He showed us how to treat others in the kingdom. You see, when you walk with God and you're intimate with your Father, you forgive people that normally shouldn't be forgiven. You love people and aren't going to love you back. You serve people all the time, even the ones that betray you. You see, it's so very, very, very different in the kingdom. He also taught them the importance of faith in this almost but not yet world. Recognizing, yes, God is in authority, but ultimately is not going to flex his muscles to the end of time. So we live in this world struggling with our faith, looking at the injustices. 
and wondering when God is going to make all things right. Remember Jesus himself in the pattern prayer. Talk to his father and ask that the kingdom would come. It would look more like your kingdom, God. That your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will look so very, very different. He came to show people what God looks like. And he came to be a bridge. You see that up on the screen and you see a small little frame copy of that. That's in my office. And it reminds me again that, that Christ loved us. He paid my debt and restored my relationship because I put my faith in him. Just like anyone else. But so much happened during the third year of ministry. God's plan gains momentum. And if you continue to look at Mark chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12, you'll find, well, there's the transfiguration that happens. Some of you remember the time when Jesus took three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain. And as he went up on the mountain, all of a sudden, there was Moses and Elijah. And they appear And Jesus seems to be talking with them. Whoa, this is a little weird. Then they come down off the mountain. And again, God is just using all these circumstances, and there's all kinds of healings. Jesus continually delivers people who are demon-possessed, those that can't see, those who are literally lepers, cast-offs. But in As he continually walks through life, he continually inserts the message of servanthood. It blew them away. A king is not supposed to be a servant. A king is supposed to be served. And Jesus kept saying, no, you don't understand. This king came to serve. And this is what I want all of my followers to do. He again, well, focuses on his death. He reminds him over and over and over in these last chapters, I just want you to know, I am going to be taken by the religious people. They're going to scourge me. They're going to make me suffer. They're going to put me on a cross. I am going to be buried, and I'm going to rise from the dead. I don't know how they received this every time, but it almost felt like it was a little bit of repetition. But Jesus wanted them to understand during these last days before he would be taken to the cross what was really important. Now, all this was amazing, but the thing I think that pushed everybody over the edge was when Lazarus was resurrected. That shouted, In John chapter 11, it's the only place it's recorded in the scriptures, uh, Jesus had this great relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This was really close to the time he'd be taken to the cross. And Mary and Martha send this message to Jesus. Jesus, your friend Lazarus is dying. He's really sick. Can you come and touch him? Can you come and heal him? 
Well, as most of you know, by the time he gets to Lazarus, he's been dead in the tomb for four days. He meets with the girls, he encourages them, and then walks over to the stone and says, move it aside. Everybody gasped. (laughs) Are you serious? Four days? He's going to stink. This is not a good situation. He rolled away the stone. He rolls away the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come out of there. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Now, Jesus had done some amazing miracles up to this time. There's no doubt. He was such a knowledgeable teacher. He could tell stories like nobody. But this one, a guy that's been dead for four days, the news spread. Everybody was rejoicing. Everybody wanted to talk to Lazarus and Jesus. Can you imagine the conversations? Can you imagine? Well, maybe he could have even written a book, you know? When I was in heaven for four, I know, no, something like that. But really what happened is that I was dead and now I'm alive. Jesus talked to me. I, I am so grateful to Jesus for the life that he gave me. Well, the scriptures tell us that news spread all over. And when it came time for Jesus to enter into the city for the last time, the Sunday we call Palm Sunday, the scriptures tell us that Jesus, the day before, visited Bethany. This was the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And that the people flocked, literally, to come and see Lazarus and come and see Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, people wanted to see, wanted to hear, wanted to know about him. The scriptures tell us that very next day, Jesus enters Jerusalem It's a Sunday. Some of you noticed in our lobby, there's a gigantic reprint of the Holy Week timeline. It it is so interesting, and you can just download it or see it on Bible Gateway also. But it's so interesting how Jesus spent his last few days here on the planet. But what happens? Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And it's found in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and in John 12. But I'm going to ask our youth pastor, Willie, to read for us, starting at Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Luke 19, 28. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. After telling the story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. Say, so went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. 
So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw the garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out the garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Finally, it was time. It was time for the climax of God's plan for Jesus here while he was on earth. Zechariah the prophet prophesied of this hundreds of years before. It came about in Zechariah 9.9. But Israel's king was to ride into Jerusalem on a young donkey. Now most of us, again, we don't understand some of the cultural things, but, but a king who comes in riding, well, a white horse is normally the case. A stallion, one signifying great power and authority. A ruling king, a king that is unbelievably powerful. Not Jesus. Jesus comes in on a scrawny little colt of a donkey. In Zechariah 9.9, the prophet literally said this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet, he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus was in the center of this procession. This time, Jesus receives praise. Oftentimes, as you read through the Gospels, he would shun it. But not now. The people are lining the narrow streets. There's chaos everywhere. Multitudes are waving palms, dancing, shouting. Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest. (laughs) This made the Pharisees a little upset. Not liking all that's going on. So they basically tell Jesus, rebuke the crowds. Hey, Jesus, you better tell these guys to quiet down. And Jesus just simply says this. If they keep quiet, the stones will shout. My creation will shout. Wow. You may look at some of this. We don't often have palm-waving parades. Something a little bit out of the ordinary, a little abnormal. But what happens while Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and we're not exactly sure of the timeline, but it absolutely floored me. If you look at Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 41. Luke 19, 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began 
to weep. Here's the king having all the accolades or at least whatever accolades people can give him. He's looking ahead, perhaps at the temple, and all of a sudden he gets emotional. Now remember, there's not a lot of times where Jesus is recorded as weeping. We know again that Jesus wept right when in the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. But nobody knows why he wept then. We have all these different, well, theories. But the gospel writer tells us why Jesus wept. And he says this in verse 42, How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now, it's too late. Jesus Christ came to offer abundant life. Jesus Christ came to restore a relationship. Jesus Christ came so that these people would experience ultimate peace. And he knew that so many of them would still reject him. He began to weep. He looked at the multitudes. He recognized that so many of them were just in a frenzy. But he wanted to give them peace. He wanted to give them life. He wanted them to Shout Hosanna from their hearts. God, you've come. You are saving us. Not from Romans' oppression, but from sin and death and destruction. You have given me opportunity. Hosanna, Hosanna. You are a God who saves. I am so glad you are here. Not to take away the pain of a Roman rule but to give life. And Jesus cries. He weeps. He looks around wanting all of these folks to respond to this message, to his life. In fact, just days later, he would stretch out his arms. He would be the perfect lamb of God. He would die in their place, in my place, so that I could be restored. Rejection breaks Christ's heart. Oh, he wished they'd respond. And then, in a few verses, he says he went to the temple, he looked around, and left. Left for that night, Sunday night. As so many of you know, Jesus fills up the rest of the week with cleansings, with miracles, and with teaching before he meets with the disciples on Thursday night for the Last Supper. I'd like you just to take a moment to reflect as we think about Palm Sunday. You see, the Jews had been waiting for hundreds of years for their king 
years of misunderstanding and disappointment swirled. But Jesus was there. And Jesus lived among them. And Jesus gave them words of hope. And Jesus desired to give them abundant life and to restore a broken relationship. But so many chose not to believe. The religious, they were blinded to the miracles, to the messages, to the transformed lives. God's Messiah would be different. It it would be better. Jesus came to bring life. But I wonder, would Jesus weep? If he were to even walk around this sanctuary today. Where maybe even some today, seated right here today, might be blinded to his grace. Might not understand all that he wants to give you how much he loves you and desires a relationship with you. And some of us are casual. It's not only people in this sanctuary, but it's it's people all over our city and our country and our world. This is the beginning of Holy Week. This is a big deal all over the world. But would Jesus be weeping as he looks out in the multitudes? He says, I want to give you life. I want to give you peace. I want to restore relationship. And all you're doing is, well, doing religion. Going through the motions. Would Jesus weep. If we understood and embraced all that this king is, our only response would be shouting and praising and rejoicing and dancing and waving palm branches. We would be literally, the king is here, he's riding in on a donkey, this this amazing son of God loves me, he loves me, he's pursuing me, he's going to die for me. He wants me as one of his kids. And I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me with all of your heart. God says, I'm a good, good father. I've not given you a rule book. I've given you a love letter. And if you listen to me and my principles, oh, you will live now and forever. Would we today be moved by God's grace? It's unimaginable, unimaginable what Jesus did for me and for you. Let's just be reminded of the upper story. Every time we meet, we kind of look at some things that we might be able to learn about God and then about us. Well, the first thing is that Jesus is a humble king. You'll never meet anybody like Jesus. Never. Never. He is so worthy to bow down and to 
worship. Jesus weeps. He has a heart that's capable of breaking. And God is gracious, gracious beyond anything we can imagine. And for us, the lower story is that when you really see Jesus, this is not just a worship service when you come. When the saints are standing and there's words up there, it is adoring the King of Kings. And if we could, we would wave palm branches. We would dance. We would raise our arms. We would be so grateful. Tears at times would flow. God, you are so amazing. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rejection also happens. That in spite of God's love, people can reject God. And today, maybe that's what you've been doing. Maybe you even are part of God's family. You've just been rejecting Him and just kind of not listening to Him and not submitting to Him, thinking again that you can find life or peace without Him. I, I would ask that you would even repent today, even now. And maybe there's someone sitting right here, right now, that does not know Jesus, have never come to a place. You can be a child of God today, recognizing who He is and what He has to offer you. He loves you and desires deeply to be part of your life. And lastly, suffering happens. Suffering happens. God not only gives us a privilege of walking with Him, enjoying a relationship with Him, He also warns us that as we follow Him, it will be hard. Let's pray. Father, you are only king forever. You are the king. And Lord, someday every knee will bow whether they know you or not. Your presence will be so overwhelming that people will be just in awe. We pray, Father, that when people bow that each one in this sanctuary today would know you and they would bow because you are Savior and you are their King, not their judge. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. We are so grateful for your, your story, your pursuit, and your grace. You are King. King forever. In Jesus' name, amen.